Let's bow together in prayer. Our Holy Father, you are so good and kind. You're so loving and merciful. And all of those qualities, plus so many more that are beyond our comprehension to list and and to understand, we thank you for them. We thank you that though evil exists in this world, we know that you are sovereign and that you are love where other things may not be. Help us, Father, to exude your love to those who are lost, knowing that we ourselves were once where they are. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you'll turn with me back to Genesis 3, we'll start actually in chapter 2. As we talk about the day that accountability came. The problem with gospel meetings is that you you have so much you want to say and so little time to say it. And you want to respect people's time and the fact that the, as an old preacher told me one time, the anatomy can only endure or the mind can only absorb what the anatomy can endure. Quite unlike a preacher one time who stood up on Sunday morning and announced that he was going to preach through the entire Bible that day. That morning, the entire Bible. And his congregation had groaned. They, they thought, man, we're going to be here for a week. This is a camp meeting. It's not a worship service. Anyway, he started at Genesis 1-1, and man, he worked it, and he worked it, and he worked it, and the hours were just going on, and the congregation was just wilting. I mean, just, just, you could just see them wilting in the seats. And he got through Song of Solomon, he took a pause, and he said, now what shall we do with Isaiah? A voice came from down front and said, he can have my seat, I'm going home. <laughs> well, hopefully you will not feel that way as we study together. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Romans 14, verse 12. Those words bring blessing but they also bring a sense of sobriety. You remember Paul's three-point sermon before Felix in Acts 24 when he reasoned of righteousness, of self-control, and of the judgment to come. You remember how Felix responded. The Bible says he trembled. It is a sobering thing to consider our accountability before a sovereign and almighty God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God gave man in the garden so many more opportunities to do right than to do wrong. God said to Adam and to the woman, every tree, every you can eat of every 
tree of the garden. You may freely eat of it, with the exception of one. The same is true in our lives today. God gives us so many opportunities and chances. So many flavors of doing right and being acceptable before Him. Why would we ever choose the exception? It's not like our choices to do right are so limited that, there, that there's really nothing else. And it's kind of bland just to do right. So we've got, we got this whole bouquet of things over here that we can do that are wrong. It's exactly the opposite as it was with Adam in the garden. And when he and the woman chose the one thing they couldn't have. The Bible says in chapter 3, And verse 7, as we've already read, And the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more above all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, to dust you shall return. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. He placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Satan renounced accountability. He said, you will not surely die. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 10 and verse 13, why do the wicked renounce God? Why? Because he said in his heart, you will not require an account. All things become open. All things become possible. All things become feasible in our minds 
if we truly believe that we can get away with it, if we truly are tempted to think and deceived to think that there will be no answer that has to be given, oh, but there will be an answer. Because along with the blessings that came in Eden came accountability. And Adam was accountable. And the woman was accountable. And the serpent was accountable to God. And when God came to the garden, when they heard His voice, when they heard the sound of, the, of God walking in the, in the garden of the cool of the day, He asked a very telling question. Where are... Don't you think He knew where Adam was? He wanted Adam to fess up. And so I want to ask that question as we begin this class period. Where are you today? Do you have things in your life, words that you've said, actions that you've engaged in, that somehow you have been tempted to believe that no one will ever know and that somehow this will not be a part of the record at judgment? And yes, the blood of Christ does cleanse. And our sins and iniquities He will remember no more. But accountability is still part of the process For you see, in accountability, number one, nothing is hidden. Unless it's bought by the blood of Jesus and cleansed, nothing is hidden. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, I want us to be reminded of how connected God is to us. How connected He is to His creation. How close He is to us. Sometimes we ask the questions in sermons, how close are you to God? And James says it well, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. But how close is God to you? How knowledgeable is He about what goes on in our lives on a Monday through Saturday basis? As well as the first day of the week. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. Are acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, You know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before laid Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence? If I ascend into heaven, You're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, You're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there Your hand shall lead me, Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from You. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to You. And if you read on through Psalm 139, the point is made. Nothing is hidden. Adam and his wife tried to hide amongst the trees of the garden and they could not. Because a sovereign God knows all. An omniscient God knows all. And accountability is open to Him just as the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. There is no creature hidden from His sight. For all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. He's fooled by nothing. In Luke 22 and verse 34, Jesus not only knew that Peter would deny Him, He knew when it would happen, 
before the rooster crows. He knew how many times it would happen, three times, and he knew the nature of the denial. He said, Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me. That's the God to whom we are accountable. Isaiah 49 and verse 16, through the prophet Isaiah, God says to Judah, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. The word there, inscribed, that's translated inscribed in the English, Harkak in the, in the Hebrew literally means engraved. Now, when you and I were kids, we'd write some girl or boy's name on her wrist and say, I love them. You get home, you wash your hand, it's gone. But if you engrave something someplace, it's there. It's permanent. God has that kind of intimate knowledge of His people, of those who belong to Him. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 5.21, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. All his paths. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And in Acts 17, beginning in verse 26, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, Paul says. And it has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. In Him we live and move and have our very being. As some of your own poets also have said, for we are also His offspring. Now some of you folks who are a little longer in the tooth like your speaker will remember a time when the 11 o'clock news used to come on and before the folks started saying the news... A recording would come on. It's the same voice every time. And it said, it's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? God knows where we are. Nothing is hidden from His sight. And the Bible tells us very, very plainly that He'll bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. Even the idle words that we speak, Jesus said, Matthew 12, 36. Why? Because nothing, nothing is hidden. Number two, as we go back to Genesis, to the account we've just read, no one is immune. No one is immune. And what I mean by that is simply this. And I think our slide, there they go. Our slides are taking Sunday off. When God came to the garden and He gave a chance for an answer to be given, and that's really what the word account in the Greek literally means, lagos. It's to give a word. It's to speak the word of, or to give an account verbally of what we've done. When He came and gave that opportunity, He gave it to all three that were involved. To Adam, to the woman, and to the serpent. So no one was immune. Second Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then Paul follows that with this. Listen, it's not a coincidence. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. If there's anything that will make you nervous down to your toenails, it's the idea that there is a God in heaven who knows every single thing about us. And the choices that we make in life, we will give account of in that day because that day has been appointed 
So Paul said in Acts 17, and the Hebrews writer said in chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed. God's not going to get to the end of time and say, well, you know, probably need to have a report card. Oh, I remember report cards. (laughs) Some of them I don't remember with joy. In the third grade, the Three Stooges were really, really, really hot. I mean, really big. And us guys, man, we wanted to imitate Curly. And we sat in reading groups and other things in the third grade class, and we perfected our Curly. And I'm not going to do it for you today. Today's not the place. But we perfected our Curly. Man, we could, we could, I play that for my wife today. I show that show from my wife today. She shakes her head. She said, that's a man's humor. Absolutely. But at the end of that school year, your speaker got called up to the teacher's desk. She handed him his report card. And he looked at the report card. didn't look too bad until you got down to conduct. Now, my father, the former United States Marine, would always tell me, son, you may not make A's in math, science, and all these other things, but you can behave yourself. That day I looked at that report card and it said B. It may have well have said death. Fear and trembling. Terror. And yes, <laughs> an impression was made. Because no one is immune. No one is immune. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and again, you think about that in regard to the folks that we know in this world are lost they're going to give an account and that's a sobering thought it's going to be a sobering day brother marshall keeble let me get the slide to come up is my favorite preacher of all time other than the lord jesus i want to meet brother keeble one day and just sit and listen to him talk through eternity what a wonderful wonderful gospel preacher one of his beautiful beautiful illustrations goes as follows. He said, you know, this old life, he says it's like going to the, down to the chain store. And what he meant by that grocery store, you know, Walmart, Kroger. He said, living this life, it's like going down to the chain store. He said, now you can get you a buggy and you can go in that store and you can go about anywhere you want to go in that store. And you can stay just as long as you want to stay, and you could put just about anything in that buggy that you want to put in that buggy, but when you leave, you've got to pay the man. And don't you think that every time an old fat boy from Georgia goes through Walmart and he goes by the checkout stand, he remembers that illustration. Because there is a day coming where we will give an answer. And that day of accountability for Adam and for Eve and for the serpent was right here. John wrote in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 13, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Number three, there is no, there is no excuse nor absolution. There is no excuse. When Adam was called first in God's Many judgment day, if we can call it this here in, in the book of Genesis, when God called him to account for what he had done, what did Adam do? He basically accused the Lord. He said, this woman whom you have given me. He tried to absolve himself of the blame. 
That's the implication. God, you, you're at fault here. I mean, I wouldn't have done this without her, and you're the one. You gave her to me. It didn't wash. So he comes to the woman, and the woman says, the serpent, he's the one who did it. So you have excuses, and the serpent, he doesn't make it. What excuse can he make? He was behind all of this. So there is no excuse. There is no absolution. Luke chapter 12, verses 42 through 48. You go down closer to 48. And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Accountability. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. There is still accountability. The blood of Jesus washes away sin. It does not take away accountability. The blood of Jesus purchases our redemption, the redemption of our sins, which we're going to talk about in the lesson tonight at 6. But it does not absolve us. It does not excuse us of the process and the reality of accountability And in our culture, that's one of the things that we see people trying to still shove far away from themselves. Yes, it's my environment. No, it's I was abused by my parents. No, this reason and that reason. It all justifies my behavior. No, it does not. It may have contributed to your behavior. But free moral agency demands accountability. And brethren, there is a day coming... When we and every other one created in the image of God will stand and give an answer for what we have done. And again, regardless of your stature in life, regardless of your 401k or, or, or what you've done with yourself and your occupation, regardless of how many kids you have or how many wonderful things you've done as a Christian, doesn't take away accountability. That's a little too far down the line. There was one picture we missed. See if we can go back, guys, one slide. Because I want to share this illustration with you. And actually, one more slide. Actually, maybe that's too far. Maybe it's not on this presentation. Let me just share it with you anyway. His name is Christian Herter. He was the governor of Massachusetts in the 1950s, 52 through 57. When he was running for re-election during that time period for a second term, he was out campaigning. And his, his handlers had run him around from one place to the next. He didn't eat supper one night. He had just a little bit of breakfast, maybe just a dry piece of toast, and then went to a church picnic and was speaking again. Man, they had him going like a monkey in a cage. And when he got through with his speech at the church picnic, they all lined up for lunch. And as he lined up, he was given a plate, and he was going to do the, the right thing and stand in line with everyone else. And so as he was standing in line, he got up close to where they were serving, and there was a sister up there, and she was serving the most delicious fried chicken you ever put in your mouth. It was golden brown, and man, the the fat was just dripping off, I mean, just finger-licking good, as the colonel calls it. And he was so hungry, he could have eaten the table it was sitting on. He was starved. So he walks up, he holds out his plate, And she puts a great big breast of chicken on his plate. Man, he could have eaten it right there. And he was so hungry. He thought to himself, man, that's not going to be enough. 
So she's standing there with the tongs in her hands, you know, where she'd served the chicken to him. She's standing there with her arms folded. And he said, kind lady, he said, I am really, 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 really hungry. He said, can you offer me a second piece of chicken? And she looked at him very sternly and she said, no, one piece of chicken per person. Move along. And he asked her again, same thing again. Finally, he thought to himself, you know, if I tell her who I am, if I tell her who I am. He said, so, ma'am, perhaps you don't know who I am. He said, I am the governor. And she looked at him and crossed her arms even more. And she said, well, perhaps you don't know who I am. She said, I am the chicken lady. One piece per person. Move along. When we get to judgment, there's not going to be an opportunity for us to say, you know, I'm this person or that person or I've, I've preached these many years or I've served God these many years or I've, I've done this, I've done that. No one is immune and there is no excuse. And then finally in our class this morning, there's no limit to consequence. There's no limit to the consequence. If you go back to Genesis 3, when God pronounces the punishment, the consequence, first of all, on the serpent. Because you have done this, he said, you're cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust. Here it is, verse 14. All the days of your life. And then you come down to where he pronounces the punishment upon Adam. And he says to him in verse 17, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. And there it is again. All the days of your life. Come down to verse 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Do you return to the, to the ground? For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. There's no limit or limitation to the consequence on the day that accountability comes. In Luke chapter 16, we have the account of the rich man and Lazarus. It is not a parable. Because there is specificity. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. He's comforted. And the rich man finds himself in torment. And he calls out to Father Abraham in verse 24. And he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime... You received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. I want you to notice the next aspect of this account. Then he said, when he realized that he could have no relief, when he realized there was there was not some sort of of loophole. There was not some sort of excuse or, or um, uh, some sort of, of release from this. Then he becomes evangelistic. 
Only then does he become evangelistic. He says, I beg you therefore, Father, that you'd send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And of course, his request was denied. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Someone is not coming back from the dead to preach the gospel to those who are walking around spiritually dead among us. That is our responsibility to do. Because when the punishment comes, when the judgment comes, when accountability comes to bear, there is no limitation of consequence. My friends, the rich man this morning at 11.15 Central Time is still in the same place of torment that he was when this account was given. And there has been no respite. There's been no vacation. There's been no sabbatical. Because there's no limitation of the consequence. And again, this, this is so germane to why we speak of urgency in evangelism. Because when that great day comes, as we often sing about in the hymn, when that great day comes, and our Lord pronounces judgment, And the sentence is pronounced. There will not be an appeal. It will not be dragged through the spiritual courts of heaven for a thousand years until a final verdict is passed somewhere way down the the aeons of time. The penalty for sin is eternal. Because accountability is a part of who we are and what we are before God. If I can get this one slide to come up. Guys, can you all help me if you're up there? Next slide. There's got to be another one. Okay, we'll pretend there isn't. Story is told of a young boy who was given the responsibility by his father to paint the barn, the red barn and the white door. Man, he did the job. It looked great. There was a picture in these slides of a red barn I was going to show you, much like it. But he had also received from his family a hunting knife, a barn just like that one. He had received from his family a hunting knife. And he loved that hunting knife, but one of the things he wanted to do with it was to practice throwing it so it would stick in the side of a tree or some other wooden structure. You see where this is going, don't you? So he went outside with that hunting knife, and his father had warned him. He said, don't you dare take that knife near that barn. He figured the son had had to paint the barn. He figured, you know, surely that's going to be enough of a deterrent for him not to do this. But sure enough, his boyhood took over, his imbecility took over, his lack of self-control took over, and that's the first place he went. He took his hunting knife out, and he began to start to throw it up against that door of that barn. And at first, he was terrible. I mean, I mean, the handle of the knife would hit, the, the knife would hit flush sideways against the door, slide down the door. But you know, the more he practiced, the better he got. As one of the pro golfers has said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. The more he practiced and the more he stood there and threw that knife, the better he got. And finally, finally the knife started to bury up in that wood. 
just buried up almost to the handle. Man, he was having a blast until his dad showed up. His dad applied the Board of Education to the proper area of his anatomy, the son's anatomy, and sent him back outside with a can of white paint to paint over those places in that barn door where the knife had penetrated. And he went back out and he painted the barn door and he got it looking, man, it was so pristine. And truly, if you stood at a distance, kind of like you're seeing this old scrubby barn door behind me that really does need to be painted. If you stood at a distance, that barn door after it had been repainted a second time. Oh, it looks so wonderful. But you know, if you got up real close, you could see the scars. And regardless of how many coats of paint were put on that door, the scars still remained. Accountability says you and I can make the wrong choices in life. And because of the blood of Jesus, we can be forgiven of those choices. But because of accountability and because of the nature of sin being what it is, there are scars that sin leaves behind. If you don't believe me, sit down and talk to a couple where there's been infidelity, where there's been adultery. That innocent party in that situation may forgive the other one, but it's so hard to overlook the scars because the scars remain. This week, as we talk about the urgency of salvation, let us realize that when we are tempted, like David was tempted with Bathsheba, if we will stop long enough to consider how this act or this word or whatever it is we're about to engage in, how it would affect all of the other people in our life, all of the other people in our circle of life, and the damage it's going to do to our reputation, to our relationship with God, to our relationship with our fellow man, maybe it would help us to resist the temptation. And along with that, to realize that when we do those things, when we say those things, when we engage and, and become those who would give themselves into temptation, that we will stand before a God one day who will hold us responsible of the things that we've said and done because that's the righteous thing. That's the holy thing. And that's God's thing to do. As you leave this afternoon and go home, as you go have your afternoon meal, your lunch, and maybe your rest and other things that you do, please, I want you to think about accountability. The day that accountability came for Adam and the woman and the serpent. And how the fact that one day we'll stand before a righteous judge who knows it all, every single thing. And without his blood, we will pay an eternal penalty for the things that we've freely, freely, freely chosen to do because we stand accountable before the God of heaven and earth. Let's bow as we conclude our class. Would you pray with me, please? Holy Father, we thank you that we can know you so intimately and closely through your word. That we can know how you look at sin and the righteousness of your judgment of it. 
We're thankful, Father, that you've told us that we're accountable for the things that we do and say. That you've helped fill our hearts and minds with a sense of of having that deterrent when we're tempted. Help us to be serious about the accountability that we have, but not only ourselves, but our friends and our neighbors, our family members, our co-workers, those who are lost. They too will give an account, Father. Help us to remember that. And help us to have a sense of urgency to reach them with the gospel while there's opportunity to reach them before this great and notable day comes into their life. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you that he knows us so well and that he loves us so deeply that he would give his life and shed his blood and give his place at your right hand for the time that he spent here in his tasting death for each one of us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.